This is the Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast, brought to you by Heather Rose Jones. The show looks at lesbian and sapphic themes in history and literature, and historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past. We present research, interviews, news of the field, book listings, and original historical fiction for your enjoyment. For even more historic research, check out our blog, Welcome to On the Shelf for November 2020. Such is the timing of podcast recording that I have no idea how to introduce this show. And of course, I'm showing my American focus here, but it's what I'm immersed in. Am I giving a deep sigh of relief as we start the hard work of reclaiming the soul of our nation? Am I reeling with the same stunned shock I felt four years ago? Am I biting my fingernails to the bone still waiting for a resolution? Whichever it is, one of my small parts in the struggle is to keep putting out queer content. Setting all that aside as unknowable at this point, the big new thing for the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast is the move to our new independent site. All the existing content has been moved over, so it won't be lost when Tilt shuts down. Starting two episodes back, the new shows have been released real-time in parallel on both the Tilt channel and the new LHMP channel. You should be able to subscribe directly through almost any popular podcatcher app. And I'd like to urge you to do that. Subscribe. Especially if you were a subscriber to Tilt previously and enjoyed the show. It's easy for details to fall through the cracks during a transition like this. I don't want you scratching your head months from now thinking, Huh, I wonder why the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast hasn't released any new episodes for a while. I don't do this show for money. There isn't any. I don't do it for the fame and glory. Well, okay, maybe just a little bit for the fame and glory. I do it to share my love of queer history and my love of sapphic historical fiction with all of you out there. And one of the few concrete metrics I have for knowing that I've succeeded is those podcast listener numbers. So right now, if you're listening to the Tilt version of this episode, put the show on pause, go to your podcatcher's search function and plug in Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast, or follow the link in the show notes that says New Podcast Distribution Links, and add the new show to your feed. And if you're already listening to The Independent Show, thank you, and tell a friend about us. Just to remind you, in January we'll be changing the schedule a little to two shows per month, plus the quarterly fiction episodes. The -the on-the-shelf show will still be a magazine format with news of the field, new book listings, but now the interviews and book appreciation lists will be included in that show as well, and the content may vary from month to month. The essay shows will be just as before, with discussions of people, topics, and themes from history, or sometimes more analytic pieces on the process of researching, envisioning, and writing queer historical fiction. As always, if you have a topic or a guest you'd love to hear, Or if you'd like to appear on the show, either as an author or as a reader, or if you have or know about a book you think should be included in our new release listings, please don't hesitate to reach out and contact the show. It's one of the best ways you can let us know we're providing content you enjoy. I'm always looking for new ways to expand engagement with the Lesbian Historic Motif Project as a whole. We have our own Twitter feed now. And if you're interested in becoming part of the LHMP Alpenia community, contact us for an invitation to our Discord. I'm looking forward to doing some live events there, and we'll have a 200th episode birthday coming up in May that would be a great excuse. 
And don't forget about the submissions period for the 2021 fiction series coming up in January. You still have lots of time to polish up a short story for consideration. The Lesbian Historic Motif Project blog started October with a bonus book that was a footnote in Betty Rizzo's Companions Without Vows, Relationships Among 18th Century British Women. Rizzo mentioned two women frequenting lesbian bordellos in 18th century London, as mentioned in E.J. Burford's Wits, Wenchers, and Wantons, London's Lowlife Covent Garden in the 18th century. That sounded intriguing enough that I tracked down the book and winkled out all of its references to female homosexuality. Then I spent another blog tracing down further historical information about the women who were mentioned in Burford. I have yet to find a solid historical reference for anything resembling a lesbian bordello in this material. But there was certainly a lot of gossip recorded about various women, both aristocrats and actresses, whose lovers included both men and women. It's an interesting exercise in trying to trace down the known facts behind what often turns out to be a game of historical telephone, where offhand comments get exaggerated or reinterpreted and turned into far more serious claims than the original evidence supports. But I was able to determine that if you want to explore rumors of which 18th century society women were said to have female lovers, the diaries and correspondence of Horace Walpole and Hester Thrill Piozzi are a good place to start. The blog has moved on to Martha Vakinas's Intimate Friends, Women Who Loved Women, 1778 to 1928, which is a collection of biographic sketches of couples who illustrate various types of homoerotic relationships in that period. This book may take up not only the rest of November, but on into December, since I'm planning to spend some of my November writing time doing NaNoWriMo for the first time. While putting together the research for the podcast on the Anandrine sect, I ran across another of Jeffrey Merrick's books on French homosexual history that I needed to get. This is a collection of articles, Homosexuality in French History and Culture, edited by Merrick and Michael Sibelis. So that, along with Burford's book mentioned earlier, were the book shopping for the blog in the last month. This month's author guest will be Jane Walsh, whose debut novel, Her Lady to Love, is out from Bold Strokes Books this month, adding to the popular field of sapphic regency romance. For this month's essay, I thought I'd return to my chronological tour through poetry by or about women who loved women. I've worked my way up to the 18th century at this point, which fits well with the other material I've covered recently. I have another slot to fill this month, so let's see what I can come up with for a book appreciation show. That brings us to the new and recent FF historicals. I have three October books to catch up on and five November releases. We'll start off with one where I confess the cover copy rubbed me the wrong way. I'm simply not fond of books that spend all their time promising you an unexpected surprise twist ending, but don't give you much of an idea of what you'll experience along the way. The Sappho Romance, by Jackie Lyon and Sam Skyborn, published by Dukebox, claims to give us the true story behind the legend of Sappho in ancient Greece. The cover copy rambles a bit, so I'm going to condense it a little. Sappho, the ancient Greek poet and teacher of legend, known as the mortal muse, had a secret so well guarded that centuries of scrutiny and academic debate could not unearth it. Until now. You know the speculation and controversies surrounding her private life. Was she the quintessential lover of women? The devout wife of Kyrkulus of Andros and mother to his ten children? The tragic suicide out of love for the ferryman Phaon? What if the real story were different? holding fragments of all these legends, yet hiding a splendid alternative twist. 
The Regency genre gives us two titles this month, one from our featured guest author, Jane Walsh, titled Her Lady to Love, published by Bold Strokes Books. Country mouse Lady Honora Banfield arrives in London with one mission, to catch a husband. A perpetual wallflower, she's going to do whatever it takes to win a proposal from London's most eligible bachelor, including teaming up with the most popular and least proper woman in London. Miss Jacqueline Lockhart is having too much fun in her sixth season to ever consider settling down, even though she's been unsuccessful at mingling with the upper echelons of London society. When Lady Honora agrees to exchange invitations to the most exclusive events in return for Jacqueline's introductions to eligible gentlemen, neither expects their friendship to ignite passion. Nora and Jackie begin an affair with the strict understanding that will end once Nora is married. But as a proposal becomes more imminent, choosing between a conventional life without love, or certain ruination if they stay together, isn't as simple as it seems. The second Regency seems to be part of a connected series, following up on one of last month's books. This is The Enigmatic Steward, self-published by Stein Willard. After losing her husband in an accident that left her with a noticeable injury, Lady Florence Hampton, the Viscountess of Clarence, was used to the looks of pity she received when she ventured out in public. However, it was the loneliness that her condition forced upon her that wounded her most. Surely no man would want to be seen with a middle-aged, damaged woman on his arm. Chester Vaughan knew everything about hardship and violence, but nothing about love. As the Viscountess's land steward, she protected her employer from the attentions of an unscrupulous, gold-digging neighbor, whilst at the same time struggling to hide her own deep affection for the aloof woman. The American Civil War and the Wild West period that followed provide us with three titles this month. First up is The Cofield Chronicles, Hearts Under Siege, Book One, by T.L. Dickerson from Sapphire Books. The year is 1862. The war between the states has been raging intensely for a year now. The country is in complete and utter turmoil, and brother is fighting brother to the death, dying for what each believed. It seems it's all the townsfolk of New Albany, Indiana, can speak of, and Melody Cofield is paying attention. Through a series of heartbreaks and sorrow, she settles on the decision to cut her hair and don men's attire. Going under the alias of Melvin A. Cofield, she leaves her childhood home, the only home she had ever known, and enlists in the United States Army. Chewing tobacco and drinking liquor were ways of men, and she learns quickly how to behave like one. She would soon know the horrors of battle and what was called the glory of war through roads that led straight to Vicksburg, Mississippi. However, her biggest concern was making sure she was not detected by the others. Keeping her secret would not only be challenging, but trying as well. Will she remain in this solitude the rest of her life, never allowing anyone into her heart again? Or will she find love, once more, in a world that was intolerant and unaccepting of who she truly was? Rivers of Eden, self-published by R.E. Levy, gives us a story of conflicts and contrasts on the frontier. Margaret Hatch is a good woman. She has a husband, a homestead, a baby, and always heeds her preacher. But when things in Eden begin to go awry, she can't help but feel guilty. Guilty for that night five years ago. Guilty for kissing her best friend. Guilty for wanting more. Emma Johansson is not a good woman. She is loose, unmarried, and employed. Three things a woman should not be. She also happens to be in love with her best friend Margaret, a fact both of them have kept buried all their lives. Now the two women must reconcile their hidden history with the terror that has taken hold of Eden, a malevolent force keen to expose their truths to the world. 
Emma and Margaret must face what they unleashed five years ago before it takes both of them and their secret to the grave. We're offered a touch of fantasy with our Wild West in Martha Moody by Susan Stinson from Small Beer Press. Unfortunately, what we aren't offered is any sort of clear indication of the plot. So if you're up for a surprise, this might tempt you. At once a love story and a lush comic masterpiece, Martha Moody is a speculative Western which embraces the ordinary and gritty details, as well as the magic of women's lives in the Old West. Another historic fantasy is the latest installment in John Cannon's Trafalgar and Boone series, Trafalgar and Boone at Magic's End, Trafalgar and Boone 6, from Supposed Crimes. Trafalgar and Lady Dorothy Boone, still shattered by the consequences of their last mission, have decided to heed a warning from the future and put an end to the widespread use of magic. While Dorothy sits vigil for someone she loves, Trafalgar accepts the invitation from a fellow society member to investigate an ancient queen's burial site. A simple mission quickly turns sour, and Dorothy finds herself racing to save not only her friend and partner, but the whole of London. While the society is stronger than ever, Dorothy herself is alone without her closest allies and advisors. Faced with the choice of a horrible loss and a potentially catastrophic future, Dorothy makes a decision which could change the world forever and cost her the very thing she hopes to save. The last title is an anthology that got a lot of buzz on book Twitter when the Kickstarter was first announced. Silk and Steel, edited by Janine A. Southard from Cantina Publishing. It isn't strictly historic, but is likely to appeal to our listeners. Princess and swordswoman, lawyer and motorcyclist, scholar and barbarian, there are many ways to be a heroine. In this anthology, 17 authors find new ways to pair one weapon-wielding woman with one whose strengths lie in softer skills. Which is more powerful, the warrior or the gentlewoman, these stories ask. And the answer is inevitably both, working together. Herein, you'll find duels and smugglers, dance battles and danger noodles, and even a new swords point story. Let's just say that I was excited enough by the premise that I was inspired to try my luck at one of the handful of open submission slots. My story wasn't selected, alas, but I think you'll love reading the ones that were. My own reading is still picking up. I finished Melissa Bacherdust's Persian-inspired historic fantasy, Girl, Serpent, Thorn, and can highly recommend it, not only for the lovely queer ending. I'm working on an advanced copy of Melinda Lowe's Last Night at the Telegraph Club in preparation for interviewing her in January, and I hope to get an advanced copy of my December guest's book as well. I'll close the show this month with a chance to cross-promote a new podcast that might be of interest to listeners. Sweet Bitter is a podcast all about the poet Sappho and her work, and I was able to get some of the hosts to talk it up. I'm talking to a couple of the people behind the Sweet Bitter podcast, a show that focuses on Sappho, her poetry, and her legacy. Tell me about how the show came into being. Yes, do you want to take that one, Elise? Sure. Um, so I oh, oh, am and a... introduce yourselves. Oh, yeah, sure. So my name is Elise Knorr, and I'm an assistant professor of English at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and I'm also a, a poet and writer. And I'm Ellie Brigida. I am an, a recording engineer and a podcaster. And that's how I got involved with Sweet Bitter. I also am a part of the LGBTQ community. So that was a big draw of Sappho herself.
Yeah, same. I've been, I've been really influenced by Sappho's work for a long time. I write a lot of erotic lesbian love poetry. And so Sappho is one of my like poetic descendants, great, 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 great grandmother. And um, there's this great podcast called uh, Buffering the Vampire Slayer, all about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And they had, um, they had an episode where one of the characters is writing in, is like writing a Sappho poem on the back of her lover. And they wanted a guest who could come on and just talk a little bit about Sappho, just a very brief intro to Sappho and her work and why it was important for that episode of Buffy. And Lisa Charlotte, our other host of the podcast and the producer of the podcast, heard me on there talking um, about Sappho and thought, why isn't there a podcast about Sappho? That would be really interesting. So she reached out to me and we reached out to Ellie and that's how the gang all got together. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's the wonderful thing about podcasts is there is no topic so specific or focused that you cannot say, hey, let's do a podcast about this. Yes, nothing is too specific. And so ours is specifically about Sappho. So what's your vision for the show? Who's your audience and what do you hope to accomplish with it? We really want to expand Sappho to the masses because really we don't learn about Sappho like we would learn about other ancient Greek poets in school. And so we want it to be more part of our cultural zeitgeist that Sappho is one of the greatest poets of all time. So history buffs, if you really want to learn about more history, people who are part of the LGBTQ community, because Sappho was one of the original, she's the OG lesbian, we like to say. (laughs) She is literally where the word lesbian came from. So if you want to learn more about the roots of homosexuality and erotic writing about women and yeah just anyone who is intrigued by this woman who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago who really wrote about the human experience in a way that we can all still relate to. Mm -hmm. So one of the tragedies of Sappho's legacy is that so much of her work exists only in tiny fragments and as I understand it you're planning to focus each show around one specific fragment. And you started off with the most complete ones, Mm -hmm. but how much of a challenge is that gonna be to take like a a three word (laughs) fragment and turn it into an episode? Well, so we we choose our fragments based on whatever the theme of the episode is. So the next episode we have coming out is about homosexuality in ancient Greece and Sappho's women loving women poetry. So we picked fragment 94 in which she talks about anointing, the, the beloved is anointing herself with oil and quenching her desire, laying down in the bed and quenching her desire. So we try to keep the, the fragment in connection with the, the theme of the episode. And then we end every episode with an original song of some combination of the three of us singing and playing music uh, using the fragment as our lyrics. And that's really fun because since it's a fragment, we can play around with like repeating certain phrases or starting in the middle of the fragment. And it just feels a little more open-ended musically, at least, at least from where I'm sitting. But I think that one of the great things about Sappho's work being in fragment, it's a tragedy we don't have more of her full work, but it's also kind of exciting that her work is fragmented because it feels like you're part of history and part of this archaeological expedition every time you open up a book and see where the fragment began and where it ended. It's just kind of interesting and exciting to, to get only this little snippet and have your mind filled with the possibilities of what might have been there before or after. So 
I think her work is really interesting because there's so much packed into it that even in just a couple words, you're like, whoa, there's a lot happening here, even though we only have a tiny sliver of it. Yeah, and, and I know that it's the fragmentariness has been an inspiration for poets across the centuries who will take her work as a scaffold and then in recreating something complete, we will see how they understood the themes and the, the motifs. Uh, one of the shows I did was looking at translations of Sappho across the ages and seeing how the different poets inserted their own understandings into it. And someday I hope to do another show, not of translations as such, but just of people clearly inspired by Sappho's work mm -hmm. and the poetry they wrote on that basis. We love that. Yeah. And we've had some translators on the show. So Diane Rayer, who's one of the biggest Sappho translators, she came on and we actually, we have an episode that's going to talk about how you translate Sappho and how different people translate Sappho differently. And it was so cool talking to Diane because there's this one fragment, remind me of the fragment, Elise, where she, there's a gerund. It was like the only part, the only part that was gendered was this one gerund. And so Diane translated it, longing for a girl, whereas other people have translated as longing for a boy. And that one word makes it either a boy or a girl that is the object of her desire, which is so fascinating. We also have a whole episode on the kind of like erasure of Sappho's women loving women content. And a lot of it happens in translation due to just what Ellie mentioned, the translators just make these choices, which are political and social like and and so Diane I think is trying you know as, as a lot of translators do to stay really true to the actual ancient Greek and she's a classicist we also talked to though a musician poet named Chris Mason who's part of a band called Old Songs and they take Sappho's fragments and make music out of them kind of the way we're trying to on the podcast but they get like this really folksy bluesy feel to um to Sappho's fragments and they're really interested in how to like musically translate Sappho and get the feeling that you would have had 2000 years ago listening to Sappho today using modern instrumentation and modern songwriting tropes and things like that. Yeah, that type of translation is so complex and layered where you're you're having to choose between the literal translation of what this meant in its own context as opposed to carrying over the the performer audience interaction into an entirely new context and trying to not even reproduce it but find an analog for that that interaction yeah it's been it's been very very cool just seeing that's why it's like we can actually make a a very in detail podcast about sappho because of the limitless ways people have interpreted her over the years the way she can be used as a lens for looking at even more universal themes Yes. Yeah, we have this great performer named Jade Esteban Estrada, who did a one-man show called Icons, the Lesbian and Gay History of the World. And he performs as Sappho. And we were talking to him about how, like, he, he, he claims, you know, we, we, do, we don't today express ourselves without being informed by Sappho, because she invented the ways that we express ourselves as individual people, I, with emotions, and so any kind of language you use when you're writing a song or a poem today, like whether you're Taylor Swift or <laughs> Lady Gaga or whatever, like it's all informed by, by Sappho 2000 years ago. And so she's not just writing about the, the lesbian experience or a woman's experience. She's writing the human experience. And it's, it's just all like all of our art, you know, that's personal goes back to Sappho, which I think is amazing and one of the coolest things about her. Absolutely. 
And I have a sneaking suspicion that my listeners will be very interested in your podcast. I will have links to your show in my show notes. And I certainly hope that we get some good cross-pollination here. Yes. If they want to check that out, they can go to sweetbitterpodcast.com and we're everywhere that you can find your podcast, Sweet Bitter. Thank you so much for having us, Heather. It's, we're, we're so honored to get to connect with your listener base. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 